Yeah. Yes. The uh, the triangle, golden triangle, hat man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. beast. I'm not familiar with this. Tin what foil hat man. That story. Um. So that's that's how I gained the uh, small grouping of followers I have is um <laughs> because Bog Beef from the Good Old Boys retweeted me. Um. So there was this man that I'm on the same like grocery schedule with. Um, I don't know how it ended up happening, but we like are at the same stores on the same days. So we do like, I don't know if you know what Sprouts is, but it's like a poor man's Whole Foods, if that makes sense. Um, so we go, I would see him there and he'd always have a like golden triangle on his head. And I never wanted to ask, but he also would wear like an Infowars shirt. So (laughs) I knew he was kind of based and or crazy. (laughs) it's a Um, fine line i feel like it is i mean uh he was like a senior african-american man so like he didn't really fit the profile of alex jones uh listener watcher um so yeah so anyway i heard him telling the cashier that it was um to prevent 5g radiation i mean He's probably he probably he's probably going to be vindicated in that. I would I think maybe. There, there I, could be some- I mean that's what like I tweeted that at one point. I I was like I was like what <laughs> like all these conspiracy theories coming true makes me feel like maybe I should start wearing a tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I I think I posted like there is actually like a whatever you call there's like those boxes <sighs> that you can like use to sorry my dog's barking um to like contain radiation and someone made like a baseball cap version of that and I was like should I try to get him one of these and people are like oh no that's like that's not going with his vibe you should just let him like (laughs) vibe out with his golden triangle I like that you thought about him though I like that you were like how can I improve his uh (laughs) his situation (laughs) I think that's sweet (laughs) thank you well you know aesthetics are important they are important. They are. I, I find myself befriending odd uh, people, too, that I just because, you know, in New York, you're like kind of always on the same train with like, you know, similar people. So I've definitely had little strange synchronicities like that. Someone that I just seem to always run into. No one that sounds as interesting as him or I would I would. I would name them out. (laughs) If if it was like 20 years ago, I would have like actually had a conversation with him because I was like one of those, you know, when you live in a city and you're young, you're just like, oh, this like this eccentric person. Let me see what they're about. Um, But I'm at the age where he would probably think that I was like hitting on him. So (laughs) (laughs) I have uh, my closest IRL friend. She, uh, She's going to laugh when I say this, but I don't care, whatever. She's unemployed and she calls herself the New York City Park Bard. So she spends a lot of time uh, sitting in the park. She was she was employed for a lot of her friendship. But anyway, she, she smokes weed and she writes people poems in the park. And um, anyway, she has frequently at my I go back and forth. I'm sober right now, but I six months ago, I was still I was still drinking. But 
she frequently would like end up like talking to some homeless guy and I would be like, you are, you're not like leaving with him. Like we are, <laughs> we are exiting this scenario <laughs> right now. <laughs> anyway, yeah. just it, cracks me up. Everyone needs like a male, every woman needs like a male friend who will talk some sense into them when they're this kind of chaotic, chaotic woman. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as you said, you love chaotic gays. I love chaotic women. They're my favorite. And it's actually, I mean, we're probably not going to talk about it because I'm probably the only one who listened, but it's Lana Day. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I know for a lot of the listeners, they've been listening all day. So I'm actually in a pretty mellow, and I'm pretty mellow mood because I've been listening to Lana Del Rey all day. And I cried a little bit in the shower just now. Oh. So what, did she just release like one song at a time? I feel like she's releasing something like every other week. Well, her album came out today. Okay. So she was releasing like one song a week for like the last four weeks, but she's like, I know I'm going to, I'm not, I promise I won't talk too much about this because you guys <laughs> haven't listened, but she's like super prolific. And I've heard a lot of people say that she has like more like back catalog. She hasn't released than like any other, like, you know, really famous female singer like her. So she really, she releases like one or two albums a year. Wow. That is kind of crazy. Yeah. So she's very like, you know, she doesn't, she's not married. She doesn't have kids. She's really focusing on her, on her art, her art craft. I saw there was a lot of uh, fat Lana discourse going on. (laughs) (laughs) I support it. I think it's, I think it's cool. She's sort of like morphing into kind of like a, even though she's not a mom, she's kind of morphing into like a MILF. Yeah, she is. Yeah. I mean, she's, you know, she's great either way. I probably prefer skinny Lana, but um, because it's just more glamorous and more hearkening to that, like, other era that she's, like, kind of, you know, from. But, like, it just seems too, like, modern for her to be fat Lana. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she seems – one thing I say about it, though, is she seems happy, and I'm always, like – really thin or really fat or whatever's going on with your body. If you seem happy, I'm like, you're doing, you're doing the right, you know, like you're, you're, you're okay. If you're happy, that's, that's, that's all that matters. I'm in a very mellow mood. I just got in a big Twitter back and forth with this other gay guy who was (laughs) mad at, who was mad at me for saying that I was appalled by this video of this 13 year old dancing in uh, thigh high boots and a leather uh, dress at this gay club and I thought it was disgusting um, and he called me a pedophile but I tried to I because he was like oh, only <laughs> he was like only a pedophile would see this as sexual and Dude. I was like I don't, I don't know how anyone could not see it as sexual I feel insane I was like this is the type of outfit like I remember my sister when she first started like pushing the boundaries like you know this is the type of outfit my mother would have like literally thrown in the garbage you know what I mean <laughs> like she wouldn't have let let her out the house like that <sighs> anyway I just want to feel vindicated because you guys have kids you would not let your 13 year old dress or dance like that <laughs> at a nightclub right that'd be a firm no, no. am I crazy I, you know I hate this thing that like people do now where like if you say anything about a child and sexuality they're like why are you obsessed with like their like kids genitals or why you're obsessed with their sexuality like they turn it around and it's so disingenuous and like shitty it's like it's like the same you know trope that they say like oh you're a racist you're a nazi it's like it just shuts you up and you have to be on the defensive when like obviously it has nothing to do with that like well and it's like you're saying it's it's inappropriate so it's not like you're saying 
you enjoy it. That's what I don't get. It's like no, and I'm like, I mean, as I think we're all like former like or you know kind of party people, and like I don't think like I even if, like if I was still partying the way I used to, I don't I don't want kids in those spaces. So no. even from the other side of the even from the other side of the perspective, I'm like. I think like nightclub culture is like a little sacred and like, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to deal with, I don't think people who are out want to deal with kids being around, you know? No, there's a reason it's 21 and over. (laughs) 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 I mean, except I think in England, you can bring your kids to like the pub, but that's not even like, it's not like a club, you know, it's just like a bar with like a... I think That's actually awesome. in Texas you can do that too. FYI, Spendy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Sorry, the reggaeton is going in my neighborhood. But yeah, in Texas, Texas, you can bring your kid to a bar, but they have to be with you. Yeah, Probably. like with your parents. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think you can bring them to a nightclub. You can bring them to like a bar where you get like burgers and fries and stuff, not like a, you know. That distinction is really weird, though, because like they do that with drag where it's like, oh, here's a place that serves alcohol and uh, it's 21 and over, but you can bring your child. But if like, what's the the difference between that and like taking him to a nightclub? Like, it's kind of the same thing. I don't really get it. I'm like firmly on the side of just like drag is like I think I've seen some I mean, obviously, as a gay guy, I've been dragged around to a lot of like various drag type events for like 20 years now (laughs) like since I was like 15 probably I'm 30 close to 35 and uh I some of it a lot of it's kind of boring and standard but some of it's really cool and I think some of some people I've seen some really creative amazing performers who I think are really talented and I, I would call artists but I just I think it's an adult thing I mean that's just that's just the bottom line I just think it's something like adults I think it's an adult art form. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I just feel that way about it. Like it's kind of the whole thing that's fun about drag is it's campy and it's like, it's supposed to be kind of hypersexual. And I mean, that's, what's funny about it, you know? Yeah. I think like it takes up way too much room and like on the left and the right, like it's kind of this like manufactured thing that they both weaponize against each other. You know, it's like, I mean, drag queens have been around forever. I don't know if children were going to them, like, you know, t- going to drag brunch like 10 years ago. I know drag story hour has been a thing for a while, but like, I just feel like it's so strange how there's this like weird hyper focus that like, you know, the left is like, they're trying to take away, they're trying to like kill <laughs> drag queens and they don't want them anymore and they're humans too like every day in my instagram feed it's like some hyperbolic lib that i'm friends with being like i someone actually posted god save the drag queens and i was like what the fuck like i don't understand and then the le- the right just being like here's another drag queen scenario where there's a child in it and it just seems like you know i know i mean i would never yeah. honestly i would never think about drag queens positively or negatively whatsoever if it wasn't like constantly yeah in the in these like outrageous headlines about on both sides like you're saying like they're trying to groom kids or like you're homophobic if you don't take your kids to drag brunch or whatever it's like it doesn't seem like that high stakes gonna pay for taking this like nightclub thing and making it mainstream i, I hate know. it <laughs> it is kind of his fault 
It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be mainstream. Like it was cooler when it wasn't mainstream. Like I kind of hate it now, you know? Yeah, like all things, (laughs) all things good should stay in a subculture. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, I think even gay culture, like it's lame when they try to make it all family friendly and like do romance, bromance movies. And it's just like, that's not, I, I, I would prefer to watch cruising over bros any day. Oh, bringing up my, <laughs> I recently watched cruising, <laughs> my viral moment. Um, no, I agree. I mean, cruising screenings for oh. uh, elementary school kids. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel so lucky. I feel so lucky that at least I got like, you know, uh, the tail end of when it was still like edgy and fun and cool to be gay. Like I'm, yeah. I'm so happy because like now I would probably just – if I was like a young gay person, I'd probably just be like a horrible like scold, you know. I mean, do you think people are still even like like are men still calling themselves gay, or do they have some like alternative label now where they're like they have to be like demisexual, like <laughs> I don't know, you know? I just feel like actually gay men as a category is shrinking. Well, yeah, they're trying to like, I mean, that's like the critique of a lot of gay men my age that people call us bigots for is that like, they're trying to like kind of erase like lesbians and gay men for this more like amorphous thing that any, I mean, I saw this term this week called gray sexual, which the definition of was (laughs) someone who sometimes wants to have sex and sometimes doesn't want to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) To me seemed like, isn't that everyone who's not like, literal sex addict like that they have times they're in the mood for sex and times they're not in the mood for sex that seems like a really that seems like everyone on the planet I would say almost except for like I said serious sex addicts and maybe like 18 year olds you know (laughs) anyway so strange just like apologizing all these things like aromantic demisexual like it's just like you're just retarded like I don't know what to tell you (laughs) Like, why does that have to be part of an identity? Like that you're, if you're aromantic, there's something wrong with you and you're probably on SSRIs. Yeah. I mean, I think that the whole, I mean, my, my take on identity politics is that like, it's all like a giant psyop to like, really like divide up these groups that would otherwise be able to form some sort of like real coalition, you know, because like no one wants to talk about class anymore, which is still my favorite thing to talk about. Because <laughs> I think class is like really the great divide, you know. But if you convince everyone that they're this special niche identity, then you you just don't have to deal with class, which is I think like the right, real. You can fragment like the classes into even smaller groups that are shouting at each other. Yeah, that's my that's my theory on all of it. I think I feel that way about drag queen, all this drag queen stuff too. It feels like super manufactured, like you said already, Spendy. And the whole point is to get to give both sides like fuel for the fire, and you know. Yeah, keep that culture war going. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit? That we always ask all our guests this. Um, do you want to like monologue for a little bit about, or just what was your journey? Because I know that. Or at least my understanding is that you were also like us, kind of like former pretty left wing or lib, and you kind of over time kind of had a, a rethinking of those things. So we like to ask our guests, you know, maybe yeah. like a little bit about your journey. Um, yeah, I mean, I think because like it's the water you swim in, I'm a little bit older than you guys, but still like, 
you know, most people's default setting is to kind of be a lib, especially if you grew up or, you know, lived anywhere near a city, which I did for like the majority of my life. Um, and like my parents are immigrants. So that's like another thing. So like, yeah, I just didn't really. Where are they that. from? Can you tell us or no? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. yeah no, I can't. They're from Iran. Oh, oh, nice. I yeah. sensed a little. I was like. Are <laughs> <laughs> you white person? Yeah. That's yeah, I was like, she, there's like an ethnic white vibe to her. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what well, our like greatest enemy, <laughs> depending on like the year or whatever. <laughs> no, I think we're Israel's greatest enemy. So I don't know if you're including yourself in that. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, um, I think, yeah, I was with, so I was a Bernie supporter. I was a total libtard. Um, and then I started seeing like my friends post about, um, the women's March. And then like, I noticed that there was some like pushback on saying like the word pussy or talking about women having pussies and this, and I was like, what? And I, this was like, I think 20, whenever the election was 2016. And it was the first time I heard someone say that like, not all women have pussies. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> that, I was, that was just a bridge too far for me as a lifelong lib that like to say that like some women have penises. And I just couldn't, I started like, that was kind of like what red pilled me, I guess. So I started like looking, joining like Facebook groups for like, turf kind of ish stuff um but they're all like rad femmes and I I guess I considered myself a feminist at one point I don't anymore um so what, I'm just curious too what do you mean and I guess if this is gonna derail your whole thing but like just curious like what you mean about like not being a feminist like what that means to you oh I consider like everything that like second wave third wave feminism did like responsible for <laughs> society being in the stage it is today like um you know telling women to get on birth control abortion on demand without apology um you know the idea that like you're as a woman that you're more fulfilled by having a career instead of raising children like i think these are just all really detrimental ideas to society and it's bearing out by the fact that like people aren't even having children, you know, and women yeah. think that like working, like it's the, I think the thing is like, people are not even honest with themselves. Like 98% of people are doing bullshit work. They don't care yeah. about. And so to like define it as like, Oh, you're, you could have been like a rocket scientist, but instead you're at home raising your own children and like, you know, uh, and you should be charging your husband for your labor that you're, <laughs> it's just, you know, that, so that's why I don't, I don't consider myself a feminist. And I actually resent all of that, those feminists that came before that created, that shaped those ideas. Do you think becoming a mom changed it a little bit? Cause it seems like you would have had kids by 2016. So. Uh, no, I was, I was still libtard after I had kids. Um, <laughs> it, it was so it was a mixture of like being becoming a turf. Then my husband voted for Trump, and he had also been like a lifelong lib. And I was like devastated. Like I was like crying 
when I, wow. when like, he, I mean, I knew he told me and I was just was like, I don't understand. Like, how could you do this? And I spent like months trying to convince him he was wrong. And like, I was right. And then he, you know, we did that like passive. What, well, like what was his reasoning? Like, why did he, what was it that like flipped him or whatever? Well, he just thought like the whole Clinton, he refers to him as the Clinton crime family. Yes. <laughs> he couldn't, he just thought it was, he was like the lesser of the two evils and that he couldn't in good faith vote for Hillary Clinton knowing everything he knew about her family. And he was like, you know, he's more conspiratorially minded and he was delving into all those things. Like, and I, you know, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, as men, as men like to do, um, <laughs> you know, he, they're much more interior. Like he's not like hanging out with a bunch of dudes, drinking beer and like talking shop. He's like going online and like researching all these like weird books and <laughs> ordering them <laughs> and then like calling me, trying to red pill me. So yeah, that was kind of what happened. And then I eventually, I, during COVID, I, um, got on Twitter Cause I started just, you know, I did start absorbing all of that and like changing. And then I just felt like totally disconnected from like my friends and people I'd known for like decades. Cause I sort of felt like the veneer had been pulled back and I started to even see before them. COVID uh, a little bit, but COVID really like made me just like the divide became like even greater and, mm-hmm. you know, Like I had a friend like call me up and just be like, oh my God, I can't believe like my friend's not going to get vaccinated because she's like too into like yoga and Gwyneth Paltrow. And I was like, I'm not getting vaccinated. And, you know, it was just like, she couldn't believe it. And it's just, you know, like, how do you talk to people when that's like- Gwyneth definitely did not get vaccinated. I was disappointed. I, I think, I think she didn't. I was disappointed. She's trying to claim long COVID is the reason she ate bone broth. I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was a really stupid hope, but I don't think she got vaccinated. I don't, a lot of women like that don't, who are really into that, like holistic stuff. That's my theory. I, mean, I think a lot of celebrities didn't get vaccinated, even I if they like bad. said they did or whatever, didn't totally say one way or the other but yeah <laughs> and i bet a lot of politicians took like a those like early shots all of them getting the shots like, yeah i bet a lot of them just failing yeah yeah, yeah my yeah. parents were also like my mom's an anti-vaxxer so like that kind of is she's like a little too far off the deep end like i don't <laughs> <laughs> she, she was at one point convinced that like she she was like have you heard that like covid is like snake oil and i was like oh god mom come on like she just like <laughs> despite being a person with a advanced degree <laughs> she really like is the boom quintessential boomer that she like believes like any shit she reads online oh, um so uh, like in some ways that like also kind of prepared me like having parents that were like you know went through all of covid not getting vaccinated and are contrarians made me the person I am today. Yeah. Well, okay. So it's interesting. Did they leave, did they leave during the, like the revolution? Is that like when they came? Uh, they left before and then they got stuck here. So they were going to go back. Um, okay. And then they couldn't. And then they had, oh, they had me before. Um, now I'm doxing myself, my age. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they had me before. They, they were going to leave and then they couldn't. So they just ended up staying which yeah, I'm yeah. really happy about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my life would have been uh, a lot different. 
obviously. It's it's interesting. I I have so many uh, Persian friends who that's their, that's like their backstory. That's why they're here. So it's an interesting uh, political group of people. Lots of, (laughs) lots of stuff to think about, you know? Oh God. Well, the, one of the worst um, group of those people is that guy, um, cave on still oppressed oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, who is attacking like, anna k <laughs> some of the worst people online it's like him and his group of other libtard persians like <laughs> haram car and i don't know muhammad something or other like they're really the worst yeah, he's annoying. He kind of got her in the comments, but I think as a I think as a um veteranship poster, she took it in good stride, you know. <laughs> she gets like too verbose and like drunk or something and she just like her tweets are not effective and he was obviously like very sharp and like I mean his was actually worded weird too, but like yeah, he was just like fucking in everyone's comments, like responding to anyone that quote tweeted him. Did he? He did he respond to you too? He did he? respond to me. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you said he, he was got so into it. <laughs> I called him retarded. Yeah, which I don't know why. That, I don't know why that. Oh no, but the person he really, really got into it with was Cassandra, though. I think. Yeah. Because <laughs> she, because she was like, she she did a whole like, yeah, her tweet was really big on that one. Um, yeah, he sucks. I don't know. I just feel like people are so, uh, they can't even like see their, they're so blinded to like who they are and like how they're acting, like to, to like wish or to like weirdly like imply that she's like, um, you know, like leaving, trying to leave her child motherless by not getting the facts. It's so so cruel. And it's like not something that like any, you should just like no, like no one who's really like acting in good faith would say something like that to somebody else. Well, it's just crazy too at this point, like it's completely obvious the vaccine doesn't work. So I mean, how is she putting the kid at risk? Yeah, I mean, I got vaccinated and I still got COVID. And ironically, like, you know, because I thankfully I like stopped. So I like haven't gotten like the fourth and the fifth or whatever people are on now. But like, um, everyone I know who got like the bivalent booster, they all had COVID in the last couple months. Yeah. They all got the, they all got the bivalent mm-hmm. booster in November, and they all got COVID. So. And I actually still get tested, like, or I I do just because I can. And honestly, like, the only reason I get tested is because my work still gives me ten days off if I have a positive <laughs> test. <laughs> so I go, so I go and take the tests, you know, just out of like sheer like hope that I could just like you know come up positive and not have to go to work for ten days, but. Um, anyway, I haven't had COVID, I guess is my point. I definitely, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not just saying that I haven't had COVID symptoms. I'm saying that like, I have not gotten COVID because I still take the, when they have a testing thing, I still do it because I'm trying to keeping my fingers crossed for a Do you have to do it like weekly or anything? No, 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 no. I, no one makes me, no one makes any of us test anymore. I was in a group of people, uh, like, I, I, I've said this before in the pod, so it's not really doxing, but like I work for the city of New York and they did, they did require vax. So I was like in a group of people who was required to get it. I'm not going to pretend that that's the reason I got it. I got it because I truly believed that it would help me. It would like be the end of this like horrific, you know, inside thing. And like, Lockdown I was like, regime, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah and I was like really excited because like, you know, by the time April of 2021 hit, like basically everyone I knew had gotten it, most people. And I was like, um, cool, great. Like we're going to go back, you know, everything's going to be fine again. And then like, you know, pretty quickly I realized it wasn't. And that's when I really, really started being like, what the fuck is going on? Like we all went and did this, especially where I live in New York. I mean, you know, and then, and then nothing was going back to normal and everyone, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that, 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 and then the, the, the BLM riots the summer before were like two big moments where I was like, what is going on? Because suddenly like all my friends who had been like, if you go outside, you're killing people. Like they were all of a sudden like breaking windows in Soho. And I was like, I thought we couldn't go outside guys. Like what's, and they were like filming it. Like people I personally knew <laughs> like filming it. And I was like, what are you guys doing? This is so dumb. Who is this helping? You know? Well, racism was a greater public health concern than they said that, that is what they said. Yeah. Yeah. It's the biggest. Oh yeah, wasn't wasn't it like the eight, not the AP, the AMA or something that actually yeah. said that? Yeah, they said you should go out and protest because racism is worse for your health than COVID. How, like, how could anyone believe any of these <laughs> fucking bullshit agencies after this? Like the CDC, the AMA, like. Well, so that's what I wanted to ask you about, Spendy, is it sounds like like based on this timeline you kind of set up here that your husband. Um, what, well, both you and your husband to some degree were like a little bit like red pilled even before any of the COVID stuff happened. So then like, what was your experience of the pandemic kind of unfolding, like in the beginning and what did you all think about it? <laughs> um, I was scared in the beginning. Um, and I, on, I did think that like, I mean, at first, like, I think the first week I just thought it was going to be like um bird flu or something and then when shit started hitting the fan and like things were closing I got scared and I thought that like people were going to be dying on the streets and I I have a tendency towards hypochondria so I think that like you know it's easy to get swept up in all that stuff and my husband from the beginning was like just like saw right through it and he was like it's bullshit it's all bullshit um, you know, were your, were your kids in school? I know we're going to talk about homeschooling eventually, but were your kids in school? Did you have to, no. or were they? Oh, okay. Okay. So you didn't so have to deal with that. You didn't yeah. have to deal with the sudden, like, yeah. Um, so yeah, the only, like the worst things for me was that they couldn't like see any of their friends or do anything. We had like a small group of people that we could hang out with. And then just like, like, I remember getting yelled at outside for not wearing a mask like, in, you know, at a dog park. And I was just like, people have lost their fucking minds. Like what's wrong with them? Um, <laughs> I had a friend, it was so embarrassing when I would walk with him, he would, if someone wasn't wearing their mask on the sidewalk outside, he would pull his mask down and yell, if you're not going to protect me, I'm not going to protect you. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, you need to stop. This is embarrassing. I was like, it's so embarrassing for me, like for everyone involved. Like it's embarrassing for you, especially. It was so, inc and we were on the sidewalk, like outside. But anyway, I also I also had other friends who like, I mean, really, I, I lost a lot of friends during COVID, to be honest, yeah. too. Because I had, I had other friends who like, even like, 
you know, they would like only see me like in a park with us both wearing masks, sitting six feet apart. Same, yeah. yeah that was I was so like, normal. and I was finally just like, I'm not gonna do it anymore. Like, I'm not no. gonna, I'm not gonna like. And then I started hanging out with the people who were like, you, like, we can hang out in my apartment, but we'll crack a window. And I was like, okay. Like I can hand, you know what I mean? Like whatever. (laughs) I'm actually really curious about that. Cause like I, you know, by this time I was out of any like party scene, but I was just, my husband was always like, do you think like the, like kids are still like having like underground parties or like doing things like, cause if we were like young, we'd still would be like, fuck this and like have people over. And I was like, no, I think they're too like scared they're just like no a lot of a lot of big city stuff like kept happening it just wasn't like in like you know bars and clubs anymore but new yeah. york there was a ton of people who were still going out i mean in my at least in my like personal social circles which does include like a fair amount of party people like people just didn't really like there, I, I could list maybe like a handful of people who did like kind of keep doing stuff but like they would get like scolded or shamed or whatever and but but i guess i was kind of maybe on the older side of that like late 20s so i don't know what like the younger crowd i knew people by who by summer 2020 were definitely going to parties again like i don't know so like at least in new york there were people going out again i mean i think there was some like gesture at like COVID (laughs) protocols, you know, like, you know, you, there would be like a temperature check or whatever, you know what I mean? There was some like gesture at some, at some level of, but I mean, I had a sister in call who was in college at the time who has since uh, gotten married and (laughs) a lot of things have happened for her over COVID, but she um, in college, I mean, they sort of attempted to kind of follow the like stuff, but like what happened was is the university just kicked them off campus. So her and her friends did what any college kids would do. And they all moved into a house altogether, like 12 of them. And then they all got COVID <laughs> because like, and they got COVID they like all pre- died. <laughs> they were fine. I mean, the worst thing that happened, all, they, they got COVID, I guess, like, you know, the earliest strain. So they, they all had that like no taste thing. They, that, that's, that's what sucked the most they said. But anyway, I think college kids were still hanging out, but I do feel the worst. I mean, I work in, um, you know, I work in schools and like, I, it's awful what, um, you know, has like happened to kids during that time. And I really think that like, I look back and I feel like some shame about my own fear of like not wanting to go into schools because I was like, well, first off, it's like antithetical to like, what you should be doing if you're working in schools, which is like centering, you know, kids at all times um, and like their needs. And then also I just think it was like awful because the teachers unions basically set up a like dual system where uh, teachers who are like tend to be like more highly educated and more middle class, like were able to stay home. But then these like, then these like childcare workers who tend to not have college degrees and tend to get paid significantly less were just watching all the kids. So it was like, it just was like another like class warfare type, you know, type thing where it was like, just it fell on poor, probably mostly women, probably mostly not white women to like take care of people's kids. Um, And the mostly white uh, mostly women teaching force uh, stayed home. You know that's what happened. So, yeah. yeah. A did you um, 
were your kids in preschool or what? what did you I mean? had my, so yeah, no, like it was, I got married in, uh, 2019 mm. and then yeah, your wedding was one of the last, like, uh, big <laughs> events I went to pre COVID actually, like with like hundreds of people, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> um, same. And then, um, I, yeah like um we you know my wife got pregnant in like february 2020 (laughs) so like when we were like making our decision to like have children it it was like the pre-covid world so it was kind of crazy like how that changed so luckily we didn't have to deal with any of that um the mask mandates didn't apply to anyone younger than two. So she was actually ended up being like, okay with all that. So, which is fortunate, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was weird just cause like, that was not like the world that we were thinking that our kids would be like born into. <laughs> oh, no. Well, then you went ahead and had another one. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to stack them one right after another. And yeah. Then- <laughs> Playmate. Yeah, exactly. It's like you just got to do it, rip it off like a bandaid. I, I mean, like. it is. Yeah, it's no, I, no, I'm, I'm lying when I said it's easy. It's harder in the beginning. Like that first five years will fucking break you if you're not like a strong person. And even, I mean, you know, I've had my moments where I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this, even though I like made fun of Justin Murphy for crying about not being able to smoke weed and get <laughs> with his friends. I'm like, save tears. Nobody gives a shit. You sound like a pussy. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, I do think that like, it is like, you know, and even as a teacher, you know, it's like one of the hardest things to do is like being around kids all the time. And it's like a skill that you have to like get and develop. It doesn't come naturally to everyone. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, man, but it's yeah, they just have like, they just have like endless, endless needs. I, and I, I get to leave it at some point, um, <laughs> in the day, but it's like, yeah, that's one thing about them. It's like, there's really no like autopilot. It's kind of like, they just have a lot of, um, a lot of needs. It's kind of why I don't believe like this whole like AI thing. Like I have some teachers being like, do you think AI is going to replace us? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I mean, like I like put the kids like tooth and like a little like thing, like write a little note home telling the parents like the tooth fairy has to come. And like, you know, I'm like kids cry like almost every day someone cries about something and like, you know, I have to talk them through whatever, like, mostly stupid thing they're crying about and i'm like i just don't think robots i mean they were trying to do that with covid i mean that was like it it just didn't really work but i just think there's like a care i mean like i hate the one of the things i hate is when teachers say like it's not child care i'm like it is it is (laughs) sorry it's just like yeah like a huge part of it is child care of course i mean it's like and i think wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that. And one of the things that I think our country really fucked up is, and I think it's going to like come back to bite the left in the ass, to be honest, is that like for generations, one thing America did at least, uh, you know, ensure is that like all kids had 
at the bare minimum, even if their school wasn't a great school, they had like a relatively safe, like warm place to like go for six or seven hours a day. And like the left completely abandoned that as an ideal during COVID, like a hundred percent. And like I said, I implicate myself in this. Like I, I was scared of COVID and I didn't want to go to work. And like, I, you know, like I, I had fully admit that I was wrong. Like, so. Yeah. But, and I mean, of course, like that you were wrong because everything was telling you that this was yeah. this horrible virus. And of course, of course. But I wish I surfaces and wear a mask and wipe our fruit. Make sure you never stop thinking about the virus. And if you go out, you're definitely killing someone. Yeah, you're killing. Uh, I remember. I remember we would wipe our Whole Foods groceries down. That like some like underpaid like poor Dominican immigrant delivered to us. Like we were like, (laughs) we were like, oh, we're so we're so we're so sanctimonious. Like we're doing the right thing. We're saving lives. Yeah, we're saving lives, and we're having we're having like like, people poorer than us like just provide for us, and they have to and take the risk of encountering the virus. Right, right. I mean, it was so stupid. Maybe since we're kind of talking about school anyway, so you did you homeschool the whole time, Spendy? Yeah, I um, so I started homeschooling my oldest son when he was in first grade. So he, um, this is the thing about having kids is that the best thing about them is that they have a lot of your personality traits. That's also <laughs> the worst thing about them. And so, like, both my husband and I are like have super strong anti-authoritarian like (laughs) streak in both of us and like I'd say we also like he was probably more conformist like he ended up like doing all the things his parents wanted him to do going to like a top tier school going to graduate school I was just like fuck you the whole way even though like I was like in the gifted and talented program um so like my son started having problems in preschool um (laughs) he would like put buckets on kids' heads and like shove them in the sand. <laughs> and it was all social stuff, not anything related to like learning or his capacity to like do well at things. And then, so in, so he was almost kicked out of preschool. Then when he went to kindergarten, uh, the kindergarten that was a public school near us was, um, was not good. So we decided to put him in a private Catholic school. And then, of course, he was, like, getting in trouble, like, every day. And But because you're paying them, they have more of an incentive to, like, keep yeah, obviously. child there. <laughs> <laughs> so there was lots of, like, meetings and performance evaluations and yellow lights. And um, so then we decided for his second year of schooling that we would put him in um, – a progressive private school because maybe that was too rigid and having to go to mass and do all these things was like not what he needed. Um, and that turned out to be a colossal failure as well. Um, like he was some, getting, of them are the, some of them are the worst, I will say. Yeah. Like I now looking back on it, I think it was like 2015 and they had like a gender bread man in the hallway, like back then. And I didn't even know what that was. And they also had us do like a diversity intake. And I was like asking my husband, like, what is this? Why are they asking us about this? Like, and he's like, just tell him that like, <laughs> he already comes from like a multi-ethnic, multi-racial family. Like, we're not going to do anything else about like, you know, your parents are fucking first generation immigrants. Um, so like, essentially it was just like trying to, 
the the so the progressive school it was just like more of the same like constantly having to meet with the faculty he was getting in trouble all the time and then I just realized like he's gonna like start hating school he's gonna not he's gonna be like on the serious like school to prison pipeline if like this continues like I can't like you know he got diagnosed with ADHD all of that I never put him on a medication um, although I tried it for myself and realized it was seriously just like low dose. Speed. Like it's, yeah, I was like, I took, they gave me five milligrams for him starting when he was five years old. I took one, I couldn't sleep for two days and I had a stomach ache because I also have di- been diagnosed with ADHD. And I was like, how can I give this to my child? This is like crazy. He's like one quarter of the size, you know? You know, um, I wish you're a good mom. I wish more. Uh, I wish more parents would go ahead and take the medicine just once and see what it does to them. Because I yeah. think they, they just... probably want to get a prescription too. Then <laughs> <laughs> no. there is that too, of course. <laughs> I mean, and you know, like I'm going to be honest and say, like that, as you know, I obviously come from like a background of partying. I've done my fair share of powdered substances, and so mm. I know what it feels like to be like gacked out and like that's (laughs) it felt like a milder version of being like spun out and so i was just the same thing yeah it's the same thing and so anyone that tells you it's like would you deny a diabetic insulin it's like it's fucking speed dude nobody needs speed You, you you could paint a wall for eight hours anyone regardless of their ADHD status, if you just took enough Adderall or Ritalin, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so anyway, this is all to say that like, A and I were, the, I don't maybe this wasn't you yet, but A and I were like the generation of people who were like, like we were like a wash in it. I feel like by the time, like oh, I took so much Adderall. Yeah. Like I, mostly for partying that rather than like yeah, studying. Yeah, I know totally. But by the time, like by the time I was in my like, it was completely a party drug by the time I was in like my, you know, late teens and twenties, people were using it like that, crushing it, snorting it, whatever. Anyway, back to homeschooling. <laughs> why didn't, so it was just cause it was around, like, why didn't you just do Coke? Well, cause everyone, I mean, like, so like, I feel like 50% of my friends had Adderall prescriptions. So it's like, you know, it's before way easier and cheaper to get yeah, yeah way so. easier and cheaper. And like when I was in high school, like before I could even, like, I mean, I did, I did do some Coke in high school, but you know, I wasn't like able to get hooked up all the time. And it was like, so it was so easy because my friends just had, you know, most of my friends had Benzo or like, not most, like 50% had like Benzos and Adderall and stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, you could just like, you could just take this shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like psychiatrists are pushers basically like the similar to how, like I was saying about pediatricians are just like, like vax administrators basically like psychiatrists are pill pushers it's the same thing like they they don't yeah it was crazy the first time i took it i remember a friend gave me one and was like this will make school be like way more fun and i was kind of always (laughs) i always like i always kind of like hated school too and i took i took it and i just remember that whole day i was like like raising my hand and i'm sure my jaw was like going like this like i was like i was like i was like so pumped to be at school you know Yeah, I don't see how people don't see the connection. I guess maybe those people haven't done like illicit drugs. So yeah, I think that's it. It's people who think, well, it comes in like a pill bottle and it's from like a doctor. So, you know, they... but yeah, yeah, it feels exactly the same. Yeah, if you... it does. <laughs> yeah. 
It does. Do That's a fat what... line, take an Adderall. It's yeah. virtually yeah. indistinguishable. Yeah. Because Adderall yeah. lasts a bit longer. Yeah. And, you know, as someone who did, had this, you know, lifestyle in my 20s, like I definitely didn't see myself being on this like trajectory of like trad wife homeschool mom like I you know like I even had my friends like joke about you know about it with me and I was like oh yeah like but then I mean what do you do when like they are trying to medicate your kid he's having trouble in school um I at the time was not working so like school the schools do push it too oh, like yeah. they the schools very much push medication because if they can't control a kid, they want they want the kid to get medicated. They yeah. they will say that. Yeah. Yeah. And then like also, you know, nobody thinks about like the long term downstream consequences of like children being on Adderall for their entire childhood, not only stunning your growth, but like burning out your adrenals. What is it doing to your heart? Um, most likely you're going to have a cascade of other medications you need to take because you can't sleep pills, you can't yeah. and then also you're more likely to be diagnosed with like bipolar disorder because like it's fucking up your brain <laughs> like you're burning out all your synapses from being on stimulants like you know for what like 10 years how long you know and then you go to college longer, probably, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah so um so i this i didn't want to like take on this role but like my husband sort of started like reading again he's the red pillar, I guess, started reading about like um, homeschooling and unschooling and stuff. And then he was talking to me about it. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. Like I was, he was already a lot for me, as you can imagine a child that's like having these kind of problems in school comes home and it's the same way. So like, um, I kind of like, just like threw my hands up and I was like, oh, I don't know what else to do. So like, I guess I can try. Um, so I just, we just like ordered a bunch of curriculum and then like pulled him out of school and then just started, um, you know, sort of like slowly doing it. And my husband was sharing in the responsibility. So like he would take over like grammar and like science and like do that at night. And then I would do like the bulk of the work during the week. But it was like, you know, when you're, he was in first grade. So it's not like we were like spending hours doing it. So it was an easy progression to like the point we are now where he's in sixth grade and, you know, we're doing hours of work now. And yeah. And he's happy. It was a good choice for you guys. I think, you know, he's, he's, his brain works differently. So he's always, I'm not going to say that he like necessarily has ADHD. I don't know. I just think that like, um, you know, much like I do, his brain works in a certain way. And so I'm just trying to create an environment where like, it's not a detriment to him and he doesn't feel like bad about it or that there's something wrong with him. And, you know, I think at the very beginning, we just explained to him that I was like, oh, you know, you're like, you have like a Porsche motor with like bicycle wheels. And so like, you can't <laughs> stop in time. Um, and so I just want to like create a life for him where like, I want to nurture all those things that he's good at so that like, I know that he's most likely not going to be like bound for college. And I really need to like find a path for him to like, get like an intern, not an internship, but an apprenticeship or like do something that he wants. He's really entrepreneurial. He, I own my own business. So he sees that and he like 
wants to start his own business. He's really into meme shirts. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, can I, if my, if my Instagram gets like another thousand followers, can I start like a shop? Another thousand. Wow. Yeah. He, he had a lot of success with the, the capybara memes. So, (laughs) (laughs) so he's monetized now. So, so yeah. And like, I, I feel like honestly, it, the way that school is, is actually not natural for kids. Like are kids supposed to really be sitting in a chair for eight hours a day or whatever, you know, like, well, I mean, yeah, no, it's, it, I, there, I will say that at least in like, I mean, I think it's it's very female. It's, I think at least, yeah, it's very. I was going to say that. Like, <laughs> I was, you could you could say it because I was kind of going to say that too. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I don't have anything against teachers or like schools. And yeah, my husband is a former teacher. He taught for three years, and so he sees it from you know he sees both sides of it. And at the time, you know, he said that he was like working in a um, whatever the chapter of school is where it's like underserved and. Um, yeah. people sending their children out of that district. Um, so they sent him there. Title yeah, Title I. Right. Yeah. They sent him there um, as after his after he got credentialed. Um, and you know, he was just like it was just like classroom management the whole time. I think he taught middle school. Wow. And he just realized that there was like no learning going on. And the question he like proposed to me, which I really made me think, because you know, like that's part of like just growing up being in school, you just think that way. You don't think anything else. He was like, how do you teach someone that doesn't want to learn? And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. No, it's, it's, a, it's know? a great, I mean, yeah, it's a great question. And like, and I think that's the problem. It's like so much of school, like, you know, yeah, it's like school, school works well for, a certain like demographic of kids, primarily kids who are like, you know, from middle-class families who are like education oriented already. And I think it works well for, I think it works better the way school structured now. I think it works better for girls than it does for boys, generally speaking. But yeah, I mean, when you're managing 30 kids in a classroom, you know, a large part of it does end up getting sort of like, unnatural because you just have to like maintain order (laughs) you know what I mean and if you and if you can't maintain order things can get dangerous really fast um so you know you have to um that that is a part of it and then I think that but I think they're trying I mean I will say that like in at least progressive cities like one thing that at least is being attempted is to make school less like that like you know, a lot of the schools I've worked in like now have like learning alcoves where like if kids are tired of being in the classroom, they can go do their work like on a couch or like a bench with like cushions and stuff. Like they're trying to make it more, you know, a little more natural. And I, I think the richer you are, the more likely your your kid's school is like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you are able to afford to live in a better district or you're able to afford a private school, um, it's more likely that your the school is like that. But now the problem is, is that even if you get your kid into a school that where the environment is like that, you have to contend with the fact that like the school is going to have this entire kind of like ideology that they, yeah. they want to like down to your kid's brain. So then it's like, 
even if they're in this like nice hippie sort of like progressive environment where they can go take like a library break and like sit on the couch and like read a book, which is nice. I think for a kid to have that option, you are going to, you are going to run up against uh, this other thing that's happening. And like, people are just in such denial that it's happening. I have friends arguing with me all the time. They were like, what's the big deal? Like we learned about the civil rights movement in school. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like I, there are like huge organizations now that, where that are that are completely staffed to the brim with people getting paid a lot of money to come into schools and it's like they're trying to push like a very specific view of the world onto the kids and it's like and it's it's really deliberate and you don't have a choice like you have to go to these trainings as a teacher and it's like you know, I remember one of the funniest things I went to like a training in New York city and like the entire room was Hispanic people and like the, I guess like half Asian, half white, like conductor of the day or facilitator or whatever was like, kept using the word Latinx. And like, finally some woman was like, what are you, what are you saying? And then some other woman was like, he's talking about Spanish people. And then like the whole room <laughs> And like the whole room started talking in Spanish, like trying to like, like let everyone know like what was being said. I was one of the few white people in the room and I could tell the facilitator was like, no, no, no. Like it's not offensive. And they were like, what do you mean Latinx? Like we're Spanish. Like they were just like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like it was like so confusing to them. Um, And like, you know, my boyfriend who's, you know, Hispanic, like hates that. He doesn't understand that term. He's like, what do I have in common with like, the rest of this like continent, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's like, it's, it's really weird to like, you know, it's actually kind of like racist almost. It's like calling people like Africans or something, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like such a, it's such a weird, but anyway, it's like the whole point is like, you know, they're trying to teach this like idea of like internalized bias and that like, you have to unlearn your own bias for the rest of your life. And I think it's just really anxiety inducing in kids. And it's like, you know, it, I, I, I do think it freaks them out. And then it's like. And it makes ra- race relations like worse. Yeah. It it more strained because everyone's like hyper aware of the tension or whatever. <laughs> and the kids now weaponize it. So like <laughs> I have kids oh, yeah. who will say things like, so-and-so said X, Y, and Z. And I'll say, okay, I'll talk to them. And then they're like, well, aren't you going to do something about it? And I'm like, I am going to do something about it. I'm going to talk to them about what they said. And they're like, no, this is a bigger offense. And like, we need to make a big deal out of it. And I'm like, okay, well, I've already said that I'm going to address it with them. And I'm not going to tell you uh, what the outcome of addressing it with them is because you're a child and you don't get to know like what the, you know what I mean? Like, but, but they, but they have learned this idea that if you accuse. Right. And like, I have been like, I have actually been accused of homophobia by students of course. as a gay, as an out gay teacher who <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't walk in like the first day of school and be like, I'm gay. But like, these are kids who live in Manhattan. They know what gay people <laughs> look like, sound like, and are like, so they know I'm gay. It's not weird to them. You know, they've, they've been around gay people their whole life. It's a, Manhattan, I don't even know. I'm sure is like 
lots of gay men live in Manhattan, you know? So they like, they like know I'm gay and they like, <laughs> they just understand that because it's not. Don't foreign. you consider yourself a homophobic gay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've gotten, I've gotten mad at some, I've gotten mad at some young gay guys and I've been like, that is not, that's not a good way to behave. Like you can't, like if you really think some, some uh, you're being discriminated against for being gay, like who's gonna listen to you if you just say it all the time? I was like, no one's gonna listen to you, you know. So like, that's a it's a serious thing to like you know accuse someone of. Also, I'm like rolling my eyes because I'm like I went to like school in Texas. You guys live in Lower Manhattan. <laughs> your, your parents like literally are like writers at Vogue. Like, don't tell me that you're you know like <laughs> like. I don't know. Anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but I just, I do think there's like this, there's like this mass indoctrination aspect to school and it's like no one. Yeah. There's not a, that's a nice segue into, uh, Ivan Illich, um, who I think is interesting because I, I became aware of him during COVID because a lot of his, um, people were like talking about him as like a sort of theorist about, in relation to COVID, like how kind of the public health bureaucracy and everything. Um, but he also wrote on gender as well, kind of related to some of the stuff you were talking about, about like why you're not a feminist or don't consider yourself a feminist. Um, but also the book that you were actually posting about was about the public education system, right? Like de-schooling society. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, like what is he kind of getting at with that idea? Well, I think Illich is really good at, well, he's very prescient. Like all three of his like major books were all like kind of critiques of modern society that like have all essentially come true. Um, He did one on medicine, transportation, and then schooling with de-schooling society. And um, I think his appeal to me is that like, I think the idea of like de-schooling society can kind of appeal to you, whether you're on the left or the right, because if you're on the left, you can kind of come at it from this like Foucauldian like framework where it's like, yes, schools and prisons are indistinguishable from each other. You know, a bell to go to the next class or back into your cage, eating at a certain time, being limited to groups of a certain number of, uh, of people at a certain time. Um, and then if you're horrible fluorescent lighting, <laughs> yeah, fluorescent, right. Uh, chain link. When you start to think about it, it is kind of crazy. Also they like hospitals too, are kind of similar, mm-hmm. but um, so they don't. And then I think if you're on the right, maybe the ideas that you could latch onto is that like, um, you know, that, Oh, uh, that it's like enforcing these ideologies like Q was talking about that like um, are, you know, someone else's ideas of history or science or whatever it is. Um, But then also that like it is an unnatural way for people to learn. And when you think about like yourself and anything that you really are interested in, you probably learned it on your own because you were you you gravitate towards learning about things that are interesting and that like ideally school should be like that where it's like these systems where they match um people based on their interests to someone who can train them in these interests and he thinks that like they should be able to do this for all stages of your life not just while you're in school 
Um, and then that, you know, school kind of like teaches you to accept this kind of institutional way of learning and of being graded or being assessed. And it like foments these ideas of like hierarchy and authority that like you go on to see in your work life. And like, I think when Q is talking about um, like DEI and stuff like that at school, I was thinking like, well, it's the same when you go to work though. Like work is reinforcing that. It's the same when you go to university, right? It's all these same ideologies. And so like, unfortunately, as I was, I think I said to you in a group chat, like if you're, no matter what you do to your kid, if you're sending your kids to like public school, like that's the bulk of their time. That's what like all of their peers think. Like it's going to be so hard to break out of, break free from like those ideas that like, you know, that like the oppression hierarchy and that like if you're a white person you're at the bottom of the total totem pole and you're automatically privileged and that like you know a trans woman is more important than a biological woman and um you know i think that these are all ideas that like you know illich kind of outlined really well that like unfortunately are all <laughs> we're seeing them come true in our uh, contemporary society yeah yeah, I mean he's, he's yeah he's an interesting guy because, I mean his just his I guess in personal story is interesting. Like he's from like Dalmatia or something, some like what sort of Eastern European country or something, and he was a Catholic priest, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he's actually he's actually I think Russian and Jewish, but he was raised somewhere else and then he became a catholic priest um and then later um became like a professor in his later years and then was writing i think he was excommunicated from the church right yeah critiquing the catholic uh yeah catholicism i didn't even know about this dalmatia thing i'm looking it's like kind (laughs) of it's like it's like a region near Croatia. So weird. Anyway, sorry, yeah. Well, and that was he was born what in like 1900 or something. So that I mean, yeah. it might have been in like a more of a country at that point or something. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, and 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 that was like one of his whole things. That's sort of a consistent theme in a lot of his works, from what I understand, is like this idea of industrial society and how that sort of mode of production just results in these kind of bureaucratic institutions. And that's been a theme, right? Like that was kind of his criticism of the Catholic church. Yeah. And he was like criticizing the hierarchy or something. And then they kicked him out and, um, yeah, but he, he started kind of applied like a similar criticism to, yeah, like the health system and what he calls like iatrogenic um, harm, which is like like medical issues that are actually caused by medical care or right. doctors. And it's all like ideological that. like conformity. And I think he sees mm-hmm. that in all of these places. And it like, you know, it is a little like Kaczynski ish um before Kaczynski like the idea that like um that that the industrial revolution has been a terrible um mistake um but it's true it's like you know I think that like 
it's such an unnatural way. I mean, all of it's unnatural schooling, a job, sitting in a cube for eight hours, but you are conditioned through school to accept that, you know, and because you accept that, then you, because you accept sitting in a classroom for six to eight hours, then you accept that you're only, the only thing you can do is then you have to go to four years of a university. So you, that's just the path that you have to do. Then when you do that, you have to go to a job that you, you know, get as a means of your, you know, four year to whatever years you spend. And then you're doing something that you probably don't like or have no real interest in um, because you've been conditioned to accept that these things are natural and, um, well, you've been, I mean, you've been taught that if you don't do these things, you're literally a failure and could potentially like end up on the homeless. street. Yeah. I thought I was. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, you feel like this immense pressure to do exactly, uh, exactly that because yeah. And I mean, that people that will think whole- you're a loser if you don't go to school. Like I, you know, I dropped out of school when I was 15 and um, I got like the equivalent of a, my um, high school diploma. And then I started going to junior college because that was the deal that I made with my parents. And I didn't really want to go to college. I wanted to go to art school. Um, but like, I just think that like, you know, like it's not for everyone. Clearly it shows that I ended up going to school, getting a degree in the biggest bullshit degree possible, communication studies, like. <laughs> oh, you're not going to beat me, Spendy. My degree's in feminist studies. Oh, <laughs> wow. You're okay. not going to beat me. That's my actual, that was my major. Wow, that's amazing. Well, you've come so far. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so far. Yeah, look, you're at the other end of the spectrum now. Um, I know. I mean, all my professors unfollowed me on a, on my wow. Twitter, my Twitter that had my name before I switched to. Oh, you had you you should have had an alt so that they still think that you're like. Well, a now good now I, everything's on the alt now. I'm yeah. just saying in past yeah. <laughs> past iterations. Um, anyway, well, yeah, I that's... feel like one of the other things about Illich that applied to COVID too was like the um this idea that the education system just kind of conditions you to like trust experts yes. and like outsource yeah. your kind of autonomy and yeah. critical thinking to experts. And that like education doesn't actually really function as a way of like honing your critical thinking skills, but it's almost like the opposite. And I feel like you could definitely see that with COVID where like the most educated people were the ones who bought the whole thing like hook, line and sinker, you know, and it was people who like had very little formal schooling who were just like, this shit does not make sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's this, I mean, a credentialism and like this appeal to authority is just like, I I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. Like, you know, having immigrant parents, they just like someone who has a PhD has to be smarter than you or somehow more intelligent. And like the idea that like do your own research has become like a meme that people think is funny when it's like, you know, the irony that like you should just accept what these people tell you when like doctors literally fucking Google your symptoms to tell yeah. you what's wrong with you. Like they're not any smarter. Trust like they're literally like my husband went to medical school 
And he was like, oh, everyone that was good in medical school, he, he's not a doctor, but like they had, they had, they shared the same classes. They just are good at memorization. That's all they did. It's like, you're just hoop jumping. It's mm-hmm. not a, it doesn't mean that you're able to criti- think critically about anything. No, it absolutely doesn't. I mean, one of my closest friends uh, who didn't go to any formal schooling, uh, who I hope to have on the pod at some point, not because she had very thoughtful parents like you, Spendy, but because they were in a cult. But anyway, she was she was one of my she was one of the first, and she ended up she actually ended up uh, getting a PhD like with no never having gone to school, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she hates academia and thinks it's like total bullshit and always says that she's like, I met way smarter people when I was like living out of my car post cult escape than I did in like a PhD program, you know? Um, but anyway, she was one of the first people I knew who was like, no one should be believing this about COVID, which I find fascinating given this conversation. It's like, you know, everyone I knew, most of the people I know, of course, like went through pretty formal schooling. I feel like I've lived a pretty middle-class life and still do. So they, you know, almost everyone I know went that path and, everyone bought it hook, line and sinker. But this, you know, this one friend I have who never went to school until she got into college, um, you know, uh, was one of the first people that was like raising the alarm. Like, this is fucking insane. Like people need to wake up, you know, and she lost her job. She was homeless for a little while. That's because that friend she, that refused to get vaccinated. That was yeah. the one. Yeah. And she I, lost her job. I have a lot of respect for that. I mean, she really, really, she's the person I know who like stood up the most, (laughs) like she really did. But it's crazy that that was a choice that was offered to people. Um, Anyway, I'm rambling now, but I just wanted to point that out. Like literally the one person in my life I could think of who has the least amount of like formal schooling, at least pre-18, was one of the first people I knew who was like something bullshit is going on, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's so crazy because you think that, like, God, if they could pull this off and convince everyone that, like, they were going to die and the only solution was to get vaccinated four times, uh, you know, and wipe down your groceries, then, like, what <laughs> what else? Like, if... if there's if no limit, these, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah at this point. You just need a little I mean, fear. There's, no, there's, there's no limit. I mean, you can't even say... Like you can't even, ha- I was listening to the Jake, JK Rowling podcast and she has like actually such a middle of the, people are like, she's such yeah. a turf and she's actually such like a middle of the road opinion about it. Like she like, you know, acknowledges that tra- like gender dysphoria is real and all this stuff. And all her only point is just like, I think there's some differences between women, biological women and trans women. And that's all I want to, I just want to be able to say that. And like, even that she can't say, you know what I mean? Like even that, and that's just an, that's just an observational, uh, reality. (laughs) That's just a, like, that's just an observation. That's not even a value judgment. There are some differences in the way, you know, like anyway, I just find that fascinating. So yeah, they can, they can do anything. They can make people, they can make people say anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do think it's like now everyone's alarms are kind of triggered, um, from COVID. And like, I think, you know, even a lot of like the diehard COVID people kind of were forced to like (laughs) second guess their like convictions about it. Um, but I think it's just a matter of time and after a while, everyone will just kind of like forget about it. And then at that point, yeah, they can just usher in. But like they already, 
they already sort of did it again. Like they convinced everyone that this like fake war in the Ukraine yeah. was because mm-hmm. like Putin was like, you know, some insane megalomaniac, which he, probably, which he probably is. But like they completely convinced everyone that that was like this un, uh, you know, like there was he did it out of nowhere because of his pride when it's like NATO has been encroaching on, you know, like his side of the world. And it's like, if you think about it, like I had this friend explain it to me in this way that I thought was so fascinating. She was like, what if Russia propped up a coup in Mexico and installed a pro-Russian sort of puppet government like we did in Ukraine? Yeah. Like, we would also invade Mexico. <laughs> we would. Well, that would abs- also just, yeah, I mean, of course <laughs> that's true. But also just, like, is or what is is the argument that, like, the United States should intervene anytime one yeah. country, like, invades another country? Or, like, do you think that that's not happening at the same time in other places? Like, why is this one special? You know what I mean? It's such like it's, an infant, a juvenile perspective to think that like, oh, America's just the good guys of the world. We just want, <laughs> we just want to make sure that you know this country is not getting bullied by Russia. Like, <laughs> how- what we really, what we really want to do is like create a situation where, like, all of Eastern Europe is just NATO, and then by virtue of being NATO, they're basically U.S. satellite states. We are the Soviet Union. (laughs) Like, like we just want to create a situation where it's like they're all United States satellite states, essentially, you know? And, like, totally bring Russia to its knees. Like, obviously, like, they, you know, that's the real, it's like a proxy war. They just want to get, get Putin. And so they have to spend all of our money doing that right and they have to always have some like bullshit military conflict going on so they can always be buying more weapons and whatever you know (laughs) money laundering for the bidens and whoever else you know i just feel like they did it like right after covid again though like the ukraine it was insane they they did it again with january 6th they convinced everyone that complete retards had a plan (laughs) had a had a plan to actually take control of a country and i'm like do you even understand like what a coup is or what a revolution is like just because you walk into a building doesn't mean you've taken over a country you've taken over a country when you've like when you've like gotten control of the military and you've executed the top leadership in a public fashion so everyone knows they're gone you know what i mean and the idea that that was like anything even remotely approaching that happened is so is so funny to me especially i'm sure like spendy like people like you whose like families really like did actually go through something like that or at least, you know, at least were from a place that went through something like that. It's like, not, anyway, they, they do it all the time. They're constantly convincing us of new dumb bullshit. Yeah. Things. It's, which is, yeah. Like the irony of that, that the country that's constantly creating coups in other countries, deposing <laughs> the democratically elected leader, we're the good guys. And these band of like roving idiots, they're really the, the ones you have to worry about. That were completely uh, ignited by 
likely our own oh yeah it's totally you know, like in, in, intelligence stage <laughs> yeah oh the, the guy, is what's the name of the guy who was like hey guys let's go in over here <laughs> guys, yeah yeah like what that where's we that guy go inside the capital <laughs> it's just so funny to me that people were like like these people had some sort of real plan to like take control of like the united states it's like ridiculous like the coup happened a long time ago, which no one wants to talk about, which is that like we made this massive surveillance state and we have like the NSA and the FBI and the CIA and that's the real government. And that was the real coup. That happened That the happened before anyone was even... JFK. Yeah, yeah totally. JFK. I mean, probably. I mean, like exactly when it flipped, who knows? Mm-hmm. But like there probably was a time where the president had like some sort of real actual power. And then clearly that time ended, you know, and maybe it was JFK, maybe it was Roosevelt, but like, you know, there was definitely a point where these like unelected organizations essentially became the real government, you know? (laughs) So that actually leads me to, I wanted to, I I was thinking about this actually um, in, in relation to pool house who um, also lives in California. I know. So, um, but I was just th- kind of thinking about how California has kind of a like impressive history of like some of the great like conspiracy theory minds. Um, like, um, I mean, there's many, but like Dave McGowan being a big one who's like, well, I just read his the, book. Oh, really? The, yeah, which one? Canyon. Oh, Laurel the Canyon. Laurel Canyon book. Yep. And that's California right there, too. And um, but also like Peter Dale Scott, who was like a big JFK and the 9-11 person. I, he's oh, not yeah. actually from California, but he's a, like decades been teaching at um, Berkeley for decades. Um, and then I also thought of Gary Webb, who's like the uh, dark, uh, what dark alliance, like CIA drug running um, guy who wrote that book. Um, and I consider Pool House up there as well yeah. on that um, that <laughs> Mount Rushmore of conspiracy <laughs> California conspiracy theorists. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, like, are you at this point, like, because uh, because like, okay, what I kind of liked about you, you on Pool House's pod, is that you come out across as like very like level headed to me, like kind of like Thanks. a normal person, um, not like super schizo or anything um not that i love the schizos too and like i'm definitely a bit schizo myself so i don't mean to that in a bad way either but um i i was just curious like if you kind of get into the conspiracy stuff at all or like what's your kind of take on that um (laughs) i think as a woman i resisted it because you know it is like this third rail that like also from being a lifetime lib that you just hear about like oh these fucking conspiracy theorists and like um tinfoil hat this and alex jones memes um and my husband is super deep into conspiracies and he's the one that like recommended that I read the Dave McGowan book. And then I was just like, what? It's just like a list of all these dead people. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how they're all connected. And he's like, uh, well, you need to like listen or read it a little more closely. So like, I think I am 
apprehensively accepting of some conspiracies. Like I actually thought that book, um, is it chaos? God damn it. It's about, it's about the same era Manson chaos and something else was like, um, really interesting, just like things that connect the dots. But like, I feel like a lot of, um, male conspiracy theorists like spurred out too much. Like my husband (laughs) will like talk about like iconography a lot and like show me like how a swastika was like in like all these things like thousands of years ago and it was in (laughs) Jerusalem and it was also in like China and like I just like don't have that much room in my brain for like that and dates he's like really about like like you know how in the Dave McGowan book he's like and this child was born in the summer solstice and I'm like who cares numerology kind of (laughs) stuff yeah yeah like so I get into it, you know, he tried, he made me watch, my husband made me watch Loose Change. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I also am like a skeptic or a natural contrarian. So like, I always want to see like what the opposing side is saying about things. So like his most recent thing is like, reach showing me tweets of owen benjamin about the moon landing stuff and it's like give me a break don't you think this looks fake as fuck and he showed me some like (laughs) have you seen the russian lunar landing one it's no no it looks like a mid-century modern like teapot like on wheels like (laughs) rolling across or like an like an atomic age piece of like machinery just rolling (laughs) across this like weird bumpy plate and he's like oh my god it looks it it actually really it looks very steampunk yeah that's what i said (laughs) it's unbelievable and he's like how can you believe this and i'm like i don't i need to do my research before i look into it more but like (laughs) Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would consider, I say I'm um, open to all theories of things. My yeah. father, my, uh, not my father-in-law, my brother-in-law is also a flat earther oh, and a cool. Republican. So um, me and my sister are in good company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're, around some, you're around some good people. But to I me, think it's anyone... like if you, if you yeah. saw the COVID stuff, like essentially this global like pandemic and understand, like, I guess you, there's different, like you could argue about to what extent it's like fully just a hoax or whatever, or a bio weapon or this or that. But like, if you see that, I feel like you have to be pretty open to the fact that like, pretty much anything like could be like somewhat fake or you know what I mean yeah well I mean like do you think do you look at it on a bigger scale and think this was all like a trial run for something or that like testing out people's compliance like what are you what do you guys think I mean yeah I don't I'm interested to hear probably we're probably in slightly different places what do you think a on that one I mean I don't I don't like to me it's sort of like i don't like to say like oh yeah it's for sure gonna like it's like the next step is like this and then that you know like this you you because you never know like what's gonna happen and like the circumstances of everything change and what so i don't know but i think that yeah they're all like a lot of these like i guess what peter dale scott coined um like deep events mm-hmm. or structural deep events are just ways of um yeah like this sort of hidden like power structure um changing society and the way people think and act and and uh in order to achieve like 
different levels of like political goals sort of um see i like i guess my take is a little bit different than i don't know if a was even saying this but i know my takes different than pool houses or at least and maybe this is just me still having some like optimism but i don't know if there's like a global like overriding like group or conspiracy that like causes all of this stuff i, I think in my imagination there's like elites of varying degrees and there's probably a lot of different factions sort of vying for power. And there's, and like, I bet there's even within our own country, like sort of different factions. And I would guess that like the NSA keeps things from the FBI, keeps things from the CIA. And so the idea to me that it's like all completely organized by some like all powerful, (laughs) like satanic cult is a little hard to believe, but I definitely think there's like, a ton of bad actors with a lot of power and they're probably clashing at points. And like, I don't know, like, I think that, yeah, that's how I feel about it. And that they seized and that they seized on COVID who knows if it was like, a like, like a control from the, 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 raccoon dog in the <laughs> yeah market. i mean who knows where it came from like i don't even what know are you it... saying how could there be any other explanation besides that one <laughs> i don't even think it matters where it came from because even if it truly was a total freak accident obviously it was like used in all these ways i mean that's that's true you know what i mean like it was it was used for all these like political motives so regardless of like if the whole thing was you know but i mean like you don't even have to be a conspiracy theorist to know our government and the people in our government are interested in that. I mean, like MK Ultra, all that stuff. These yeah. are like real, like declassified programs. So our government's definitely interested in uh, psyops, and you know, like that's, you know, that's a given. I just don't know if there's a unifying like Illuminati level, you know. And I don't think Poolhouse even like a, like a hundred percent says that's what's happening. He just thinks it's possible. And I think it's possible too, but my, I think it's more likely a little more chaotic than that. Well, yeah, I don't think that there's literally like a group of like a hundred people that like all get together <laughs> and have like a meeting and like decide like, okay, like this week we're going to like, you know, but, uh, but I think there is basically a, a relatively small group of people who, whose interests, even though they may have disagreements on things are basically all aligned and they want their sort of existing power structures that benefit them that they want to maintain and that they can't do it using just complete honesty about the way the system works. So you have to invent all these kind of narratives that obscure the reality of what's happening while nudging people towards the outcomes that they want. Yeah, they want to they want to maintain their power and then like ultimately like pass that power to like their children and stuff. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. that's what elites do, you know. It's what everyone does in some ways. I mean, we we all try to <laughs> you know, pass pass things on to our kids, but that's what they do and this I think is really, it's a little yeah. more nefarious. Of course, of course. I'm, obviously, 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 it's way more nefarious. But that is, yeah. There had don't, like, don't you think there had to be some global coordination though to like shut down the entire world? Like the count, I don't know, like from yes. who necessarily, but like the fact that WEF is involved, who mm-hmm. uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, like all of these big agencies that are, I mean, influencing the government. Like there, I mean, it seems we've never experienced anything where the entire world 
all the nations simultaneously decided that like, yeah, the best thing to do is just shut down. Yeah, they all agree on what's the best approach and the best approach happens to be completely like wrong and and, like fake. (laughs) I mean, it's more possible now than it's ever been before. I mean, that's obviously true. You know what I mean? With like the way everything's interconnected and stuff. So yeah, I mean... COVID is the best evidence there is that that it's <laughs> that there is global coordination for sure. Cause it is it is true that literally every country essentially did the same thing, you know. Does anyone know of any good books that have come out yet on with any like theories besides I think there's like the JF or RFK book? Oh yeah. I don't know if it, that's any good. I'm I'd be curious to see what I've he has heard to it, say. it's supposed to be good. I haven't read it, but yeah. We, ha- we have it, but I haven't read it yet either. The real like, Anthony Fauci. Oh, yeah, that was the real. Not, it's not really on COVID necessarily, but like, I guess it'll probably be a few more years before like someone does like a complete, you know, history yeah. of like a deep dive into like what's what really happened. I mean, there's so have much. You, have you read Aberration yet? Have no. you read Aberration? What's that? Uh, Aberrations, we, we did a pod on it a while back. Um, or, or I we did the... It was uh, with Pool House, actually, yeah, on the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh. I was actually the only... Yeah. Me, mm-hmm. uh, me and A's wife were the <laughs> only people who read it. But <laughs> um, it's by, it's by for, the, for the pod. But A and Pool House brought their own... Uh, anyway, anyway it's, it's by Wendy S. Painting. And that, that Ooh, book yeah, was... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that book was definitely one of the books that really, really, I was deeply scared after reading it. I was like, wow, the government really probably is really, really, really evil, the people in the government. <laughs> like, that was like, and I don't know why I needed that book to tell me that. Like, just just reading about what happened in Waco should be enough, that they would, like, burn, like, you know, 17 kids alive. Like, just that, that should, I shouldn't even need a book to tell me, like, they did that, and then they did also did the Oklahoma City bombing. But I guess just the book really lays out a compelling case that they essentially uh, did all of it. They well, did wake up, yeah. and and that's what I was gonna say about the conspiracy stuff too. Like the ultimate thing I feel like with these kind of psyops or whatever is to divert a, a, like the um, negative attention away from people that actually have power and influence. So like it's always the news is always going to like divert you away from like criticizing the military or the government, the FBI. They're going to tell you that like it's these domestic extremists who are infiltrating the capital or whatever who are the bad guys even though like they essentially have no power whatsoever, you know. It's right. like it's always going to be like that like the anti-vaxxers were evil right not it's not like fauci and the nih or whatever it's like these random like hicks or i'm not saying all anti-vaxxers are hicks but you know what i mean like that that's who they're pointing the finger at you're not saying that you're saying that's what the state yeah exactly yeah no it's true well, yeah and even when they like like that whole was it gretchen whitmer who that kidnapping scandal it's like i think 90 percent of the people involved in that were fed so like yeah. and then they convinced some like retard to like go along with their plan so they can like entrap him and put him in prison like you know yeah exactly they just find some like sort of incel like basement dwelling like QAnon like person and get the that get them to agree to like come to some meeting or they you know yeah 
Yeah. It's yeah. I, I want someone to really do a good COVID book. I'm sure there's someone out there working on working on it. I couldn't do it. I'm Hopefully not. It's not Alex Berenson. God, yeah. Well, I was gonna say he has one actually. He, he has oh, a yeah. book called Pandemia, but I I, I hate Berenson too. I'm not a fan. I do it's too. Gonna, it's gonna be someone like I feel like like Wendy S. Painting. It's gonna be someone who's just like really smart, like working in the shadows. Who's gonna like really <laughs> come out with the <laughs> with the definitive, you know, like I don't know. But we'll it's see. It's really hard. There's just so many. It's really a masterful like op in my opinion like yeah. if you kind of were like studying like how to pull off something like this the way they did covid was seriously ingenious on many levels well they're even isn't there like a new fungus now they're all starting to yeah, talk I about, about that. <laughs> it's hilarious because they just released the last of us that hbo show that's all about a fungus it was cracking me up and i'm like what do you mean? This the most watched show in HBO comes out about a, a mega fungus, and now there's a mega fungus. Oh my god! I was like, I was like, this is so oh, yeah. stupid. Oh, and that's something else, uh, Spendy. I know we're kind of going long here, but um, I'm enjoying the conversation. But okay. that on on Pool House's pod, you were talking about how like you kind of can't like watch um, any movies and or TV shows anymore because it just like triggers your like propaganda um antenna or whatever like i related to that so hard it's kind of sad but like yeah it sucks i mean it's unfortunate like which is funny because people like fell for that like yellowstone show like people on the right were like yes finally a show about white people <laughs> wearing <laughs> cowboy hats um and then there's like some like 10 minute monologue by like a fiery latina teacher about like uh, you know, what really happened to the Native Americans or something. I don't know. And, and then they were all like, what? It's like, what? who do you think is making all this media? Like, I don't, I, yeah, I just, the, it's just, and, and I don't understand how even like normal people can be convinced that like um, 90% of the population is a, um, a black man in a relationship with a, with a white woman like it's just so weird like i don't like who like who's who believes that like biracial couples are by far now the majority and so we have to see them on tv every every commercial it's so funny you say that because i just i, I mentioned at the top of the pod that i saw 65 which is about adam driver uh being a Go, going to earth 65 million years ago and he is in a biracial marriage <laughs> <laughs> and the daughter that he leaves at home is a biracial daughter and like the yeah anyway it was just and I was actually cracking up with my friend in the theater I kept turning to him I was like oh oh they they made sure we knew I, <laughs> I was like I was like they, they made sure he's not like those other bad white people he has a fetish for black women too <laughs> I know and then this song, and, or, like, or I love I love how they over represent gay uh one yeah. thing I thought was funny is like I went through my whole journey of like me like do I want to like try to have kids in some way which is obviously very complicated if you're gay anyway I did all this research. I was like, how many gay men are actually like raising kids? And it was something like some incredibly small percentage. It was like 5%. And like half of the 5% were, were men who had had um, a previous marriage with a woman and the wow. kids they were, and the kids they were raising were like, um, you know, uh, 
like, like, yeah, they were like splitting the time with the mom or whatever. Um, and I was just like laughing because I was like, if you watched TV, you would think that every gay male couple in the country has an Asian like daughter that they got from, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you would like, you would like, that. and I was, and I, and I really went through this whole like kind of identity crisis. Cause I was like, I don't, I think surrogacy is immoral. And I think the adoption. I think the adoption system is like really fucked up in all these ways. And I don't want to adopt an older kid and like just all this stuff. I was like really having this like identity crisis. So I like, was like, what are the real numbers? Like, why do I feel this way? And when I looked it up, I was like, oh my God, that like, it's not actually like the normative way that most, uh, you know, and then I met all these cool gay guys, like, like pool house who, you know, have great relationships with their nieces and nephews and stuff. And I was like, oh, there's this whole other like path. Anyway, my point is if you watch the media, you would think, <laughs> that's not what's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everyone knows a gay couple with a, a non-white, uh, a child that they've adopted from some foreign country. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I mean, they all are, all are also exporting this media everywhere else, probably except China. Cause like <laughs> they don't like any of that stuff over there. Any, they don't, they're, they're, uh, they don't have gay characters or like biracial couples, I don't think, in their representations of American media. No, but they do actively um, encourage all that stuff on their own app, oh, yeah. TikTok, but only <laughs> in the U.S. But only in the U.S. TikTok. It's not like yeah, that TikTok in China. Yeah, do you think TikTok is like Tumblr for like the new generation? Like all the bad things happen on there. <laughs> Who knows what TikTok's going to spawn? I mean, Tumblr spawned so much TikTok horrific stuff. TikTok is so. fucked up. I get honestly like deep, like satanic vibes from TikTok. Yeah. It's crazy. It makes me feel really scared. Yeah. Like after, like after, like if I, I had, to, I got, off, I got it off my phone really fast because like. Like literally I was on it. I remember I like downloaded it and I was on it for maybe like two days. And within two days, like all of my stuff was like, like, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like all gay. Like within two <laughs> days, it, like I like understood that I was gay. And then it was like all like weird gay guys. So it was like this, like I kept getting this guy who did this, like these reenactments of the Salem witch trials, but like as if, as if, as if they were all mean girls. And I was like, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, I was like, it really like, it like infiltrated this like deep part of my, it was scared me. I was like, it found like within two days of just me like using it, it found these like things that are like, so it just freaked me it's out. Just, like like it, like it, it just, Clearly, like you just see people like literal like yeah. zombies just staring at their fucking th phone, and it's not even like Twitter. Like I'll acknowledge Twitter can be like I mean it obviously is like blasting your dopamine and shit, but yeah. like um, at least you have you're like act you know you're like typing or like thinking of something to say or you know you're DMing with people like it's somewhat like TikTok. You're literally just kind of receiving these like this like transmission in a steady never-ending stream that's could why, go on forever. that's why i think it's so like scary that like all these kids and teenagers that that's like their main platform because like first of all like what does that do to your brain to just constantly like everything i mean i know myself that like it's harder for me to read now because I spend oh, yeah. time on social media mm -hmm. like even watching a movie i'll sometimes like start looking at my phone 
And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't need two different forms of media at the same time. Uh, yeah. And then like, I have to put my phone out of the room if I'm going to actually watch a movie and watch it all the way through. And that would have been like, nobody would have, you would have not even thought about that. Like probably 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't be looking at your phone because there was nothing to really look at 10 years ago. That was like so compelling. Um, but like, yeah, like, I mean, you see like two-year-olds just like scrolling and stuff. And like, I... I just, I know I like, I fostered these two kids and I remember it scared me so much when the super little one, like he like wanted my phone. So I, you know, I was like in the middle of like hell, like dealing with, I was just like, was like overwhelmed. So I like opened up my phone and I was like, oh my God, like he's like, he's like, can't even talk. And he's like able to navigate to like YouTube videos that he like knows are good. Oh, you know God. what I mean? I was like, oh my God, it's so scary. Like I was like, do you let your kids have phones? They're kind of getting yeah. close to that age. No. Yeah. Uh, I probably when my son's like, I'm going to try to hold off as long as I can. He yeah. can use my phone and he has an iPad um, and I have like restrictions on it, but I feel like he's like so innocent from like, you know, because he's not around like other kids. Like I have a friend whose kid is the same age and he goes to like a really wealthy, prestigious uh, public school, but in, in like uh, a really wealthy area. And when he was 10, they were like at the park with a group of his friends and they were all looking at porn on their phone. On a, oh one my kid's God. Phone. At 10. And like, she's caught him since then numerous times. He's 12 or he's just turned 13, I guess. But like looking at porn on their computer and she and I'm like, well, what do you do? And she's like, well, I just have a talk with him. And, you know, I say that like and I'm just like, dude, <laughs> I mean, she's a single mom. So she's probably, you know, she I don't know. She's got a lot going on. And her other daughter, her daughters now are they them. So, um, you know, it's I just I'm, I want to keep him like innocent as long as possible. Like I haven't even talked to him about sex like. I know it's coming and like, I want my husband to do that, but I just want it to be, oh, we were supposed to talk about that too. Um, oh, well, um, I just want it to be like very like anatomical, biological. This is what's going to happen to you. This is how people do it. Like, I don't want to, yeah. I feel like it's kind of like the race issue where like, if you tell them too much, you're like planting some sort of a seed that they like never would have thought about. Not that like, that's going to make someone gay because you talked to them about <laughs> the fact that there's gay people. But I think that, like, as we've seen, that, like, social contagion is a real thing. Kids can be swayed to think. Kids are all about, like, trying on new identities. Like, that's why, like, I mean, when I was young, it was that, like, you know, you changed your physical, like, your subculture. You were, like, a goth or a punk or a jock or whatever, an emo. And now it's all about, like, your gender and sexuality. And then maybe some subculture stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird. And I mean, I will say that like being gay came upon me in a like very unwanted <laughs> way in the sense of like I was just going through puberty and I was like, oh my God, I think guys are so hot. You know what I mean? But now it's like kids don't even have the chance to like discover that for themselves. You know what I mean? Like they're just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's very preemptive. No one was telling me about gay. I was just like, I am in love with these guys. <laughs> like, I was like, I can tell. Like, you know, like, well, anyway. That's, that's the case I would make against, like, not needing to have, like, books about, you know, sexuality is that, like, 
every gay guy I knew became gay with and knew that they were gay without the, the aid of like any kind of like material that talked about like how you suck dicks when you're like 12 or 13. Um, it's true. It's true. Like, plus you, they all you have, have, have the instinct to suck dicks. Yeah. You don't even need a book to tell you. It's exactly. like an instinctual, it's an instinctual thing you you want to do. <laughs> so. <Yeah. sighs> Well, uh, I'll take I, yeah, we probably should. gotta yeah <laughs> jump off here. I feel like yeah, I feel like I feel like we're wrapping up, but it was so I had a great time talking to you, Spendy. You're lovely. You so yeah, much. thanks so much for coming on and um, sharing your thoughts and um, indulging our conspiracy takes. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Okay. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.